With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Stop, start, stop, start. We're here, we're not here. What's happening to Central? Well, I'll tell you what's happening to Central. We are back here on the best show on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet Network. The consistently good show on the ESSR Network. The consistent host. None of that changing four hosts on a Saturday. None of this revolving door of feature shows. No, no. The main host, the only host, Ross McLeod. Back hosting ESSR Central for the first time in three weeks. And this is going to be a bit of a different Central. There's been a lot happening in the past month in the world of wrestling. So we have one of the revolving door hosts of that other show that's on a Saturday, Scott McLeod. How are you? You're one of the revolving doors. You've got a revolving door of co-hosts on this show. Co-hosts, like bit part men, warm-up acts. I'm still the main one here, you know, so I'm just introducing you, shut up. Anyway, we are going to to go through some of the biggest uh, stories in wrestling over the past few weeks. We're going to discuss the injury of CM Punk, the brutal excommunication of Edge from the Judgment Day, Cody Rhodes and what his injury means for his WWE run, the return of John Cena, Impact turning 20, and Roman Reigns and a wee update on why WWE chose to unify both those WWE titles. But before we get to all that, we have a massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews and all the news. That's on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. And of course, if you want to follow the team, it's at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Scott... There's a lot of injury news on this, fake and otherwise, (laughs) a lot of return news. So let's start with the first injury, and that's of CM Punk. So CM Punk was injured at the Double or Nothing pay-per-view in his match with Adam Page. So I'm just going to quickly go through the Double or Nothing results here before we get started. Um, A bit of a weird show, Scott. Uh, More of a New Japan feel to this show. There was a lot of matches, a lot of star power. Not a lot of story, but um, we'll, we'll get to this first. Uh, Hookhausen, Hook and Danhausen defeating Tony Nice and Smart Mark Sterling in the pre-show. Uh, Wardlow defeating MJF. The Hardys defeating the Young Bucks. Jade Cargill defending her TBS title against Anna Jay. 
the House of Black winning a six-person tag match against the Death Triangle, thanks to the interference of Julia Hart. Uh, Adam Cole defeating Samoa Joe and Britt Baker defeating Ruby Soho in the finals of the Men's and Women's Own Hearts Foundation Tournament Finals. American top team Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky and Paige Van Zandt defeating Frankie Kazarian, Sammy Guevara and Tay Conte. Kyle O'Reilly defeating Darby Allen. Thunder Rosa defending her women's title against Serena Deeb. Uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society defeating the Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz and an Anarchy in the Arena match. I'm pretty sure Wild Thing is still playing. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Express defeated Keith Lee and uh, Swerve Strickland and Team Taz to defend their AEW Tag Team titles. And the main match itself, CM Punk defeating Hangman Adam Page to win the AEW Championship to become just the fifth man in history to hold the AEW Championship. Scott, I'm going to, before we go into CM Punk itself, 13 matches on that card, I think we can agree that was far too much, uh, especially when 12 were on the main show. Mm. But I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the floor. You can either rant or you can gush <laughs> about one match. One match that really annoyed you or one match that really impressed you. You can, the floor is yours, on you go. I mean, I had to say, I, mean, I think AEW is going to have a thing with their pay-per-views, the same thing that NXT had for a long time after TakeOver New Orleans. Like, after All Out last year, where everyone was raving about one of the best shows of the year, potentially of all time, like best non-WE shows, and it was a stellar show, AEW are going to have some time, a tough time, you know, topping that, and I think they've been trying too hard the last few pay-per-views to try and do that. And this is an example of that. I could name you five matches. Like I could go, that didn't need to be there. That didn't need to be there. There are matches in this show that the card was like shorter in terms of number of matches. Then you could have enjoyed them a lot more. There are matches that didn't feel nearly as big as they didn't as they should have. The two Owen matches uh, are, are prime examples. I didn't feel like I cared as much as I should for those two. But if I can carry O'Reilly. Darby Allmatch, that would have been a decent main event of Rampage. It didn't really have any storyline reason to be on the pay-per-view, but to properly gush about something, I think uh, Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa really over-delivered uh, for the TV time that they got in the lead-up to this match. You know, it was a proper technical, you know, showcase for these two women, and shows why, like, they're both highlighted as such as two of the best, like, women wrestlers going today. It was, it was a shame, I think, for the crowd, because I think the last four matches, this this, like the tag title match, the Anarchy in the Arena and the main event, the last four matches were some of the best matches. I think the annoying thing was that by the time you got to this point, then like everybody was tired, especially if you're watching it live in the UK like I was. But if you were tired at this point, go back and watch the, the women's title match because it's a classic example of like giving very little to work with in terms of the build, like doing their best story-wise, but when it comes to the actual in-ring Stuff, they absolutely not set the part. I think that's a fair description. Yeah, they were going, not going up against a basketball game or an NFL game. I like there was some sort of basketball finals, and they didn't want the finals to still be on while the main event started. So they wanted that game to be finished by the time they present the main event. But like, and like, you can buy it on fight and watch the replay anytime you want. You know, you're not watching it live on TV. We have to tape it, like, or like in the old days where you have to. It's either on and you're watching it or you've missed it. It's the same thing with No Mercy a few years back when they said, 
oh, put your triple threat on first because the debates on. Like, you pay for the network. The whole point of the network is you can watch the stuff anytime you want. Yeah, it's it's an annoying one, especially considering it's not on TV, as you said. It's a pay per view. I could understand. Oh, by the way, we moved this match to the main event because, or we moved Rampage an hour back so that these two big matches wouldn't be overshadowed by sporting event A. But because WWE have done that time, time and time again as well. But yeah, as you mentioned, no mercy 2016 in this. It's a bit of a silly thing considering streaming sites are on demand. Like you can watch it whenever you want. There really was no need for that. But CM Punk did win the. Uh, a, I was about to say WWE. The AEW title, his first title win since Survivor Series 2011 against he who shall not be named. Um, and it's it's 11 years since CM Punk's won a title. Um, I think I think the fans don't want to see it ended by injury, but unfortunately, he has had a a lower leg injury. He has since successfully undergone lower leg surgery. Uh, but he's came out on the rampage following, um, following a, a double or nothing. Couldn't get the bloody words out there, uh, <laughs> and announced that he had an injury and he wished to relinquish the title, but Tony Khan wouldn't let him. So we've now got this. Um, it was a bit overcomplicated just to get to Moxley Tanahashi, which we knew we were getting, but. Um, Essentially, Punk was meant to fight Tanahashi at AEW's Forbidden Door. Uh, Tanahashi then had to take on Goto at the Dominion show. I'll let you jump in on that in a minute. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly won the Casino Battle Royal, only to be beaten by the number one contender, John Moxley. So now the match of Moxley-Tanahashi we thought we were going to get, we're just going to get. It's <laughs> a bit of a long and winding road to get to the one match, but Scott... Uh, Tanahashi defeated Goto at Dominion, and uh, on the was it on the sixth, I believe. Uh, no, it was the twelfth of June. It happened. It was last weekend. It just gone. Twelfth of June. Um, how was the match? Because you've you and Grant have recently just recorded an East meets West that's coming out later this week. How was the match itself, and any other news from Dominion relating to the Forbidden Door? Uh, yeah, some big things uh, to do with the Forbidden Door and that, uh, yeah, Tan actually did beat Goto. They did, like, uh, they had some undercard stuff and then they had, like, six matches in a row that had either titles on the line or had title implications like this one. Uh, Tan actually did get a win over 12 minutes. These two went. Uh, Goto's a, a kind of an underrated singles compare because he's recently been doing a lot of tag stuff in the last couple of years. But I joke with Grant on that same East Beats West show, so hopefully you'll find that joke is funny if you listen to that, as I'm going to tell you now. I joke, given the, also the implications of like Moxley's won it, he's been saying for the last two years he wants a one-on-one match with Tanahashi so like you, I said to Grant you could have put God in there against Tanahashi I still would have said Tanahashi's winning and he did and long winding or as confusing as you said it would be, I mean it's kind of a mini tournament here and they're doing another mini tournament for that bloody All-Atlantic belt so either we cannot get away from fucking tournaments at the minute but Tanahashi v Moxley is going to be one hell of a match. I wouldn't be surprised if it closes the whole Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Uh, and stuff that relates to AEW, potentially, Will Ospreay, who's been popping up on AEW TV recently, defeated Sonada to win the vacant IWGP US Championship 
Although, unfortunately, he didn't get to celebrate with the belt because the former champion, Juice Robinson, didn't send it back. Uh, and the main event, Jay White defeated Okada to become the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This is after Hangman Page called out Okada for a match for the title at Forbidden Door. And Jay White now won the belt. So it's interesting. There's rumours that there'll be a match either being Jay White and Hangman or maybe they'll put Okada in for some sort of a triple threat match. But Jay White clearly didn't have any interest in the match because in his post-match promo, he looked in the camera and said, Hangman, you, you want Okada? You can fucking have him because you're getting nowhere near this IWGP championship. I can see his point there. You know, Hangman wants the IWGP title because he's lost the AEW title and he can, that he can maybe see that as a slight. Like, no, you're not coming after my title just because you don't have the other title. Um, Tanahashley Moxley will be from the interim AEW Championship. We'll talk about the what we think th- think of a, an interim champion a situation, and if we're a fan of it or not. But what about the All Atlantic title? How because New, New Japan have its own bracket in this sort of tournament. How are New Japan going to decide who is a fatal four way Dominion uh, uh, um, Forbidden Door for the title? Yeah, so they're doing like three matches on. Uh, on AEW TV, they've already done one. Pack's already secured a spot, and tonight at time recording, it's going to be Ethan Page versus Miro for the title, and I believe the next qualifying match for AEW is Malakai versus uh, Penta. But uh, on the 20th and 21st of June, New Japan are doing some shows in Corrigan Hall, uh, both nights being main evented by uh, junior heavyweight titles. But across the, on the on the June 20th show, they're going to do two singles matches with uh, Tomaki Honma taking on Clark Connors and Yoshinobu Kanemaru taking on Tomohiro Ishii. And the winners of those two matches will go on to a match on the 21st with the winner coming out on top uh, of the winner going on to face uh, the other three in the four way at, Domin- at Forbidden Door. I'm getting Dominion and Forbidden Door mixed up. You, That's your fault, that. But considering what I've heard with fans when they heard this was being announced and who they wanted to see in the four way, Ishii was a common name. And it does feel like it's kind of being set up for Ishii to take that fourth spot, which I'm not going to complain about because I want Miro to, to be Ethan Page. Because I think that getting to see Miro and Ishii mix it up would be, you know, the the, the big E dream of meeting men slapping meat. <laughs> I'm not much of a New Japan fan, so Ishii's really the only person I know there. But Clark Connors just sounds like a geeky superhero sidekick. <laughs> what going on? Get out of there! But yeah. Batman was too liked. But anyway, one of the LA Dojo guys. I think he's gonna probably win his match because Honma, he's old and he's fucked. He's he's he, he broke his neck a few years ago. I don't think he's quite been the same. So he's probably gonna fight Ishii and get battered for his troubles. So his nickname's the Wild Rhino, and he comes out dressed as a shit Steve Irwin. <laughs> I, I remember Tom. Uh, wrestling as a young lion, I joked to Grant. If you ever, you should look up Clark Connors. You'll know I'm telling the truth that Clark Connors. I said to Grant, looks like Hangman Page's younger brother. I'm just actually going to Google him just now. Actually, so he dre- does he dress like a shit Steve Irwin now, or did he dress like it then? Well, he's been, re- well, he's been wearing kind of a similar like hat and like sleeveless jacket going with that. I'd expect to see like Steve Irwin wear. He does a bit. He looks. I mean, he, do, he looks a bit like Stephen Amell with short hair. Yeah, he's got the, the long hair now. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm seeing that. Yeah, he looks he looks like Crocodile Dundee for Christ's sake. That's not a knife. This is a knife. That's not a switchblade. This is a switchblade. But anyway, moving on from um, AEW here, uh, sorry, from the New Japan section of AEW, you want to hear more about that, East meets West is your place to go. Um, we've had the interim TNT Championship uh, before when Cody was out with COVID. Uh, we had Sammy Guevara taking on Dustin Rhodes to determine a short-term champion. CM Punk's going to be out for, it seems like, a while. What's your thoughts on long-term interim champions? Because for me, if it's if it's going to be a short thing, like, some, by the way, someone's out for six weeks, you know, they, they've done X, Y, and Z. I don't mind a short-term champion. But giving someone a long run with the belt and defending the belt and defending it with their life and they're the interim champion, and then the champion comes back and then just beats them. That, to me, it's about, well, that, why did I get invested in that when he's, we'll look back on this and he's never been the champion, technically. And then, on the other hand, if the champion comes back and just loses it to the interim champion, it's a case of, well, why don't we just strip him of the title in the first place? Like, it's... I'm not a fan of the long-term interim champion. And I know Moxley has been out of the title picture since, you know, Kenny Omega's great run. And then Hangman, Hangman's title run was disappointment, disappointing, but he was the guy to take the title from Omega at the time. So he's been waiting in the wings for another shot at that title. And I just think it devalues it for him to be an interim champion. Yeah, I mean- I'm sure I'll say this is not an ideal situation for them. And I'm, I'm not against them putting the belt on Punk in the first place because they couldn't have first seen him getting injured. Because, you know, Tony Khan said before, I I already mapped out my first four champions. So when it came to the fifth champion, they could kind of explore different ideas. And given how popular Punk still is with the, the AEW fans, I could see why. And especially when you watch the crowd reaction for him winning the title, you'd see why they chose to put the belt on him in the first place. But, yeah. I don't. I like the idea of like a new champion being crowned and then their old champion gets back to hold. Who's the the real champion, the undisputed champion? But I don't like them adding the word interim, especially as you said, if it's going to be for like a long term thing. You're like Cody with COVID, he only had ice for like a couple of weeks. He was able to come back fairly quickly for them to you know, wrap up the story, do the two title like ladder match that they did. But with Mo- with Moxley potentially winning it, and yeah, it's going to be weird how they how they look at back at in the title lineage of it if he's just an interim champion to him because like. Moxley, like being the EW champion for like a second time when they've only ever had a handful of champions and being the first man to hold the world title twice should be a big deal, but it's not going to feel like that if he's just an interim champion. And especially like, if Punk's going to be out long term, he's probably going to miss at least all out. He might be back for full gear, but he is probably going to miss all out. And how's that going to look in the main event all out? Justin Roberts doing it. It's not going to say it's epic if he's gone on the microphone like, this is for the interim AEW Championship. Like, it's not the same as if you're saying just the AEW World Championship. Like, like you're fighting for, you're fighting for the, the right to be the placeholder until Punk comes back. Even if they called it, instead of calling it the World Championship, just call it the AEW Championship. Like, okay, hey, th- th- this is a belt and it's only going to be in circulation whenever we have someone out injured. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I wouldn't mind that, but... Yeah, the interim championship thing, 
Not a fan of long term. Didn't mind it short term with Cody uh, and Sammy Guevara. Speaking of Cody Rhodes, we move on to our second story and second injury, unfortunately. Cody Rhodes. Um, so a lot of different stories came out about this. We've since had the full story. Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins on the go-home show of Hell in a Cell um, ended up in a scuffle. Uh, it was there where Cody Rhodes injured uh, his, his tricep. He injured his tricep. He then, while working out on the Thursday, tore the tricep right off the bone. Like, it was an absolutely horrendous sight. And doctors let him wrestle because... And and I quote Michael uh, and I quote Jimmy Smith. He was told he could wrestle as he could literally do no more damage to it. It's a hell of a it's a hell of a way to look after your performers. Oh, well, you're fucked anyway. You got to think Corey had a, a part to play that he probably was the one insisting on you know, wrestling because obviously he wanted to finish this thing with with Seth. Because obviously it would feel weird to like to have a hell in a cell match. That actually, feels like it's gonna. It deserves the billing of Hell in a Cell, and and obviously then having replaced with somebody else who had nothing to do with Rollins over the last couple of months. So it was nice that they got to finish off the story and then do the angle on Raw the following night. But must correct you, Russ, for today was he's actually losing his pectoral that he, he tore and which was like a similar injury, I believe, that uh, Triple H suffered in that horrendous match at Crown Jewel. And you know people are being like complimentary of Cody's effort in that match. But then, I, but then I saw one tweet that we worked his news on. Went adrenaline in my soul, tore my pack right off the bone. <laughs> let's um, let's much like all out. Uh, so much like um, it was all it was all out, wasn't it? it was the EW pay per view? Well, the one just recently. No, it was double or nothing. Double or nothing. See, mixing up pay per views all the place. <laughs> double or nothing. Um, We'll run down the Hell in a Cell results quickly. No matches on the pre-show this time. Um, seven matches. Uh, seven matches that I think all over-delivered. Um, let's just get into it. Uh, Bianca Belair defeated Asuka and Becky Lynch via pinfall uh, to retain her Raw Women's title in a triple threat match. Bobby Lashley defeated Nomos in MVP, making MVP tap out in a two-on-one handicap match. Uh, Kevin Owens defeating Ezekiel. Uh, I know that'll hurt our good friend David Collins. He'll he'll be upset by that. The Ezekiel fan club. Uh, the Judgment Day, Edge, Damien Priest, and Rhea Ripley. More on them in a wee bit. Uh, defeating AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan in a six-person mixed tag team match. Madcap Moss defeating Happy Corbin in a no-holds-barred match. A surprisingly good match, I thought. Uh, Theory defeating Mustafa Ali uh, via pinfall. Of course they did. It was in his hometown of Illinois um, and Cody Rhodes defeating Seth freaking Rollins in a hell in a cell match Scott we'll go into Cody and Seth Rollins in a bit of detail but once again uh, matches 1-6 to six, you can have a match where you can rant or you can have a match where you can gush fire away yeah I, I agree with you about the over delivering on this uh, it felt weird basically even though they don't do exclusive brand pay-per-views anymore it basically with the exception of one match was pretty much a raw exclusive pay per view, and uh, even said with the SmackDown, I see they got Michael and Corey to do it, and they said back and they said, "Oh yeah, they didn't see the point of flying me out for just one SmackDown match. Clearly, they don't they didn't extend the same courtesy of poor Michael Cole, 
we had to just fly over there and do one more, just do one match. But I'm just thinking of uh, the Dave Chappelle segment of from Pop Copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why treat Michael Cole this way? Why? Because fuck him. That's why. <laughs> Uh, but looking at the card, uh, there are some matches, like you said, the, the Corbin one that I'd expect to enjoy as much. And for one's actually it looks like a, a Corbin feud is finishing while we still enjoyed it. But I think outside the Hell in a Cell match, the opener was one of, probably my favourite match because it was a match that itself could have easily been Hell in a Cell. But, you know, just like probably the three best women's wrestlers you have, or three of the best women's wrestlers you have in the entire company, just go out and do what they do best. They didn't have to add anything else to it, just let them have a great match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought the I thought the triple threat match was good. I, although I did think it was weird Asuka took the pin. I thought Asuka was a new challenger going forward. I thought if anyone they did they did the original triple threat um finish, which is one person hits their finisher, the other person throws them out the ring and gets the pin. Uh, I thought it was weird that Asuka got that. I thought Asuka, Asuka Bianca, the new sort of feud. However, they are. It looks like they're going to head in the direction of Rhea Ripley and Bianca. Um, so let's get into the the Hell in a Cell match itself. Uh, let's talk about the master of mind games, Seth Rollins. His entrance attire is always on point. You know, he's done the Halloween Havoc attire when he took on Dominic Mysterio. He's done the shield entrance against Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble this past year. And now he's done the classic polka dot Dusty Rhodes attire. I don't think he could have done any better than if he came out dressed as Stardust himself in this one. The only thing we missed from he had like a big like like gold dust like jacket and a blonde wig himself uh, for this entrance. But like I'm surprised it took him this long. There are people and they're having the match at WrestleMania backlash at thought that now that he knows who his opponent is, at least in Kayfabe, uh, he should come out of the poker dots, but he didn't. And then like, the fact that he had these coat kind of hunched over like he's getting ready to flash you, and then he finally unveils it like, oh, he's got the poker dots. So, uh, so Cody has mentioned that his first run, he talked about it, and boom was where he, he, he talks about, oh, like, also, a lot of people thought that the that the polka dots was a rib on Dusty. He's like, they took my father one of the greatest of all time. They put him in polka dots. So, uh, kind of mocking him like, uh, look at you, look at the stupid attire I'm wearing. This is what your dad used to wear. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I don't think any of us are proud of what our dads wore in the 80s. So, I mean, if someone <laughs> came up to you dressed like how your dad used to dress in the 80s, you'd be a bit mortified, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested to see what would happen when Corey eventually took his like jacket off because I remembered how like the video, I remember the photos that uh, that Triple H took after he injured like his pick and like how bruised it I thought is that like did that take like a day or so a to take form? What does this guy look like? Took off like oh no, because like it, it was disgusting. Yeah, uh, a five star rated match, uh, Cody Seth Rollins. Uh, by Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer, the first WWE match to be given that honour since CM Punk John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. Um, it was also a, it was a very different Hell in a Cell match. We've um, we've complained over the years that maybe Hell in a Cell's lost its lost its violent streak, but this was a different type of match. This wasn't 
two guys locked in the cage and they're going to blade and they're going to do a billion table spots and, you know, throw each other through the cell. This was this was a guy, Cody, getting in there to defend his honour, then realising he's trapped in there with one of the most sinister heels they've got in the WWE and it, beco- it quickly becomes him trying to get out with his life and get out without doing more damage to a potential career-ending injury already. Um, and it, it was a really it was a really good storyline they told throughout it. Cody Rhodes eventually gets the win, and it was it was quite telling that the feud was over in Cody's mind. He was yelling after it, it's done, it's done, that's three, it's done. Yeah. You do the belly calling. It's done. It's over, lads. <laughs> over. But you know, I'm not saying they couldn't do a five star match if Cody was healthy. I think they easily could have, especially in Hell in a Cell. But I think we will look back on it a couple of years and think that a lot of the stuff that gives us a five star like match, you know, the story being told is a largely down to just how much Cody is is able to do with that injury and how surprised we all are at him maybe able to do that. Um, yeah play a major part because like, there was a morbid curiosity like any, even in a normal match wrestling with that injury but in fact he's going into a hell in a cell match with that even just doing the lightest like Irish whip into the, the cage would probably still be excruciating for him but clearly like you said he couldn't do any more damage so he just went fuck it you know he used that arm to hit a Cody cutter and immediately sold it and apparently it was just, it was good for him to use that arm to use moves because if he overcompensated on like his other shoulder or somewhere else he could have injured another part of his body and like fucked himself up even more. And then yeah, like they, they still get to the violence that he expected now, so despite the injury and of course the moment that everyone will be talking about when they pulled out the sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, it's more and more more and more symmetry between Cody and Triple H. But um and of course Seth used to be Triple H's handpicked guy, so another little layer in there. So the next night on Raw, Cody comes out. Cody's been the favourite for a while for Money in the Bank. He was in all the promo videos when it was originally going to be held at the Allegiant Stadium. It's now been held at, I believe, the MGM Grand. So he's... Uh, he's I believe it's actually the T-Mobile Arena, which is the same arena that Double or Nothing did. And apparently in response to Tony Khan, like, basically slagged off removing the arena. Apparently they parked a, a, a truck advertising Money in the Bank outside of the T-Mobile Arena the day of Double or Nothing. <laughs> I think that's quite good he's such a fucking mark isn't he anyway moving on um, so Cody was the favourite for money in the bank um, we knew he was going to be injured uh, the timeline they're giving after a successful surgery is nine months uh, people are talking about how John Cena came back in four months and how people usually come back between six to eight months. So if we're looking at six months' time, Cody's in the rumble. If we're looking at nine months' time, Cody is making a late run for WrestleMania. Um, But before we get there, Cody Rhodes announces he's done with Seth Rollins. He makes his intentions clear that he's going to be in the Money in the Bank match. We know that's now not going to happen. Only for Seth Rollins to come out, Shake his hand, say, Dusty was proud of his son and I was proud to be in the ring with you. Then Cody begins to wave goodbye 
only for Seth Rollins again to bring out the sledgehammer, rip Cody's shirt off and just beat down on that injury right on the pick and just the commentary team as well I thought sold it pretty well Corey Graves who is the despicable heel commentator and real life friends with Seth Rollins he was disgusted by it he was he sold it so well uh, Seth is Seth Rollins now the favourite for Money in the Bank? I wouldn't put it uh, past him I mean I think it'd be weird to see him successfully cash in on Roman because I think Roman's going to be holding out of that belt for a long time so if, like, if he loses one of them say, say Drew or something before that then you can see Seth winning it around about Wrestlemania Rumble time uh, especially if that means that Cody's the uh, the favourite to the favourite to win the Rumble if he's able to come back in time because if like he wins the Rumble and Seth the champion he can basically say so, like, yes you may be the champion maybe the top guy on Raw right now but you've still never beaten me. Like I've got three straight wins on pay per view over you, and yeah. Seth is the champion, still desperate to prove that he can beat Cody Rhodes. And I do think there is a bit of kayfabe in the uh, in the old like nine months thing because I think also they're giving themselves a window so that they could be they could talk about how miraculous it is if Cody comes in comes back any less than nine months uh, from now. Uh, I do think he's gone from the favorite to win money in the match to the favorite to win the Rumble. Uh, and in the long term, I think it's actually going to be good for him to take this time away because we were all kind of like skeptical of how he was going to get booked coming back to WWE after you know so publicly you know, bashing WWE for a while when he was in AEW. But he came back was like as one of the top baby faces on Raw, got three strong pay per view wins in a row, and now he's gone away. I think he's actually going to feel even fresher in WWE fans' minds when he comes back. I think supposedly his, his performance impressed a lot of people backstage just how gutsy he was to go through the match so injured. So I think he's endeared himself to Vince, which is further maybe he's going to show that he will probably get that world title run very soon after he comes back. But, you know, as much as I'm sure he's probably going to win the Rumble uh, when he's uh, when he's healthy, other than maybe Raw, like you suggested, I couldn't tell you who's possibly going to win Men's Mind in the Bank. Maybe Drew, that's the only other person other than Cody I could have seen. I think Drew is uh, I don't think he cashes in. I think he wins the title straight up. I think Seth Rollins cashes in on Drew. Not in not in the UK. I think Drew's winning the title in the UK. I think they've been building to that for since the pandemic that they were going to try to get a stadium show where Drew could win the title. Um, but I think Seth cashes in maybe around Survivor Series time and then you've got the likes of the Rumble where Cody can come back they do have a rough timeline as you mentioned but if Seth, sorry, if Cody doesn't make it back for Mania and Seth's still Mr Money in the Bank he's still got two months to cash it in I think um and I, I said this at the time when John Moxley, formerly Dean Ambrose, was in WWE and they wanted him to win the title. I thought he shouldn't win the title from Triple H. I thought the only person Dean Ambrose should ever win the title from was Seth Rollins. And he cashed it in and attacked him from behind the same way that almost a year earlier. Seth Rollins attacked him 
sorry, two years earlier, Seth Rollins attacked him from behind to break up the shield. And I thought that was symmetry, perfect symmetry. I thought it was amazing. And I think, you know, if, if you've seen the Broken Skull sessions with Cody Rhodes, you'll know Cody Rhodes said the reason he came back was, and he points to the title, he says it's on the wall. He went, it eluded my father, it won't elude me. And, you know, if I don't win the title, that's fair enough. But I came back and I tried. I couldn't let it lie. I couldn't let it go without trying to win it. So for Cody Rhodes to win that title and to lift what he feels is a family curse off his shoulders and do it from Seth Rollins, I think that's great symmetry. And, yeah, I, I hope Seth wins the money in the bank because I don't think anyone else needs it. And I think if Seth gets it, it's just another, it's a fuck you to Cody whether he's injured from Seth Rollins and it just furthers this feud onwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be interesting again, especially if Cody comes back and then faces Rollins again. Rollins, if, it doesn't, if they don't go with that with Rollins as the champion, Cody come back. It would be interesting if he doesn't, he's not able to come back for the Rumble and then they basically go two years in a row with somebody needing a mania opponent and went, well, we've got the perfect person for you. Out comes Cody again. You know, going back. <laughs> and part of the reason I said about Drew, because like, he's a little like, babyface on Raw uh, like, or Raw and SmackDown. I could see why, because it's been a while. I think this has been a babyface male one the, one in the briefcase, uh, or at least a good one. And I think we've uh, it's been a while since we've had the whole, like, I tell you in advance, like, when I'm going to, Show up, not like Big E saying it the day of on Twitter. I, I like the idea because like Drew's already called out Roman for the match, but you know when he, Roman and him could always like try and get out of it for whatever reason, like oh you don't deserve it. But then he can basically like, win the money of that and declare this is getting cashed in at uh, Clash of the Castle. If you're the champion or if it's somebody else, I'm getting that shot. There's no like way around it. Yeah, I think so. Well, we're mentioning Money in the Bank. Uh, Roman Reigns has been removed from running the Money in the Bank. And uh, he's now taking on uh, Matt Riddle on SmackDown for the Undisputed Universal title with the stipulation that if Roman wins, Matt Riddle can never challenge for the title again. And yeah, so it, sort of like they did last summer when they just gave Roman... You know, the summer pay-per-view off, they gave him hell and sell off. Looks like they're giving him more pay-per-view time off. I think actually, as we mentioned that, we mentioned the the Roman Reigns headline. I think that's a perfect time to jump into that. So, um, WrestleVotes tweeted out at time of recording uh, Tuesday the 14th of uh, June, one day ago. Uh, according to a source, the creative decision to unify both titles with Roman Reigns was with the understanding it would allow Roman Reigns to appear on both shows more regularly. They then tweeted, maybe that wasn't the best decision. Roman Reigns um, made it very clear at a live event a few weeks ago that he's he's winding down from a full-time schedule. It's, he, he won't be doing this forever and that he's, you know, he's pretty much done everything. Um... I think we all thought that, that it was to give Raw and SmackDown equal star power uh, and a, a unified champion, but it's been weird that they've maybe just went back on that and just went, yeah, actually, you know what, never mind, because he, he's hardly been on Raw. It's it's more been the Usos that have went over to Raw, eh, like 
represent him or Paul Heyman's went over to represent him while Roman stayed firmly on SmackDown? Yeah, I think, uh, I'm not sure he, he knows how long, much longer he's going to be doing this and I think given how much he has I think how much they want to keep him healthy because they've invested so much in him. That's why they've kind of made him some like part-time in the idea of like, when Roman shows up from now on, it's a special occasion. But yeah, like I said, when it does appear on TV, it's mostly SmackDown. I can count on one hand the amount of times he's appeared on Raw since winning that those titles. And yeah, it does feel weird that there's certain matches that they, they seem to designate for pay-per-view. They keep moving to TV when it comes to the bloodline where, like, okay, you didn't do that backlash, but I don't know why they couldn't have done the title unification at Hell on a Cell and not on a run SmackDown. And then, yeah, they move the Universal title to SmackDown. Like, yeah, like, Kind of like the little mystery where they had a random Hell in a Cell match on TV with Roman and Ray, where Ray got absolutely bloody battered. But looking at it, I think when they realised that even with Roman on the poster and some other people on the poster, that they weren't going to sell at Elite Stadium and they're moving to smaller arenas, they decided, ah, well, now it's a smaller venue, it doesn't matter if Roman's there or not, then we'll just move on to a match with, with Riddle on SmackDown. But but I think they, I think maybe are they teasing a surprise show of uh, Orton showing up at Money in the Bank to challenge Owen to set the match at SummerSlam? I don't know because the whole thing was Riddle, Orton, and then Drew. That those were maybe his next three challenges. It's weird as well because they had Lashley call his shot uh, after the Hell in a Cell match. Uh, sorry, the Hell in a Cell pay per view match. He went into the crowd and took someone's WWE title, held it up. The commentators, you know, that you know they don't make reference. If Vince doesn't want them to make reference to something, that's like, shut the fuck up, don't say it. But they made reference to it. They spoke about it. They they were like, oh, someone's calling a shot. So... And, like, no offence to Riddle or anything, or even Orton, they've been good, and I can see why they want to try and, like, parlay like this to this, like, bloodline tag feed into, like, Orton versus Roman at Summerland, because they are too big stars that also using riddles uh almost a platform to get to to get to the match but I'd actually rather see Lashley v Roman on a big like big four pay per view than either Riddle or Orton. Yeah, I'd have liked to have maybe seen a triple threat match with RK Bro versus um versus Roman where RK Bro have got the advantage over Roman but Roman would somehow find a way to win and then Lashley, and then Drew. But it looks like maybe, I don't know, maybe Drew will need to fight Lashley again, because Drew has never beaten Lashley, and if Lashley is wanting the title shot, maybe Drew will need to go through him, maybe that's the SummerSlam plans, I wouldn't say no to that. But, um, let's talk about the Raw after Hell in a Cell, uh, the segment with Edge being kicked out of the Judgment Day, so... Edge recruits Damien Priest at WrestleMania to join his new stable, The Judgment Day. He then recruits at back, uh, WrestleMania Backlash, Rhea Ripley. The first time all three members of Judgment Day have had a pay-per-view match, they defeat the team of Finn Balor, uh, Liv Morgan and AJ Styles. Edge's third victory in a row over AJ Styles as well, by the way. Um, so... They come out and on Raw, they announce they're going to have a new member. I remember you and I being very disappointed that it was Finn Balor at first because, and I know people, well, why would you be disappointed it's Finn Balor? We, we discussed that we thought it was going to be one of those red herrings where 
Someone mm-hmm. pretends to join, the, like when Daniel Bryan pretended to join the Wyatt family. I thought it was going to be like, it was to set up an attack so the likes of AJ and Liv could attack the Judgment Day and then they could have another rematch on Raw and then that would, you know, end the feud. So I thought Finn Balor was a red herring and Edge is talking about, I'm so glad you reached out, Finn. I'm so glad you reached out to Rhea and Damien and that's the wee telling part. He hasn't reached out to Edge. He's corrupted the other two. And it was... I haven't been a fan of Damien Priest promos during this Judgment Day thing. But now that the four of them are in Judgment Day, Priest has given this promo. He's sort of... He's not delivering. He's not hitting the lines. But then he just... He says to Edge, this allows us to get rid of the one thing that's holding us back. And it's the sinisterness in his voice which he goes, which is you. And he just... Belts Edge. I don't think any of us seen that coming. I think we thought Balor was a red herring and that maybe someone else would come in to join the group. I didn't see Edge being kicked out of the group one night after the team have their first pay-per-view match together. Yeah, like it's also like when Edge is like the camera like stayed on Edge's face and you can see like Damien Priest. Like Edge has got that big smile on his face. You know, smiling with more teeth than any human being should ever have in their mouth. <laughs> uh, and then also just then when he hears Priest says he kind of just turns like, wait, what? And then before he can really process what's about to happen, he gets jumped because, you know, you and I were watching Raw Live and they did that thing that they've been doing recently where they tease a segment and they give you a countdown to basically say, oh, please stay to like the next, uh, stay past the first hour or so, not if you're watching live, you know, don't be deterred by this random tag match. And they start the the end of the first hour, which is boring the tits off you. Look around, there's good stuff coming, promise. Because I think they did a, the weird, like the Cody countdown last week when Cody was coming for a promo. But like, you're gonna get Cody, but you need to wait till like the second hour to get to him. But then they counted down to this, and now like by the time they were they were coming out, I was getting ready for my bed. Like, oh, the judgment day's coming out. I want to see what's 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 gonna happen. And yeah, like you said, uh, I did not expect it to be Balor or so many people. You know, names getting thrown around, so many people rumoured, and then yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, oh, this is going to be like a red hair, and he's going to like get standing there. They do that, you know, like stand a bit in front of them, and then do like that kick that he did to Johnny Gargano when he turned to like NXT. Like, no surprise, I'm not joining you. Uh, we would have been a waste of time, but then yeah, like the fact that they kicked him, and everybody's been saying like, oh, but but Edge pinned Balor, but why is Balor coming in and they're kicking out Edge? But twice, uh, Balor or AJ were going to get to. The edge and it was Rhea who had to come in like step in front of them or distract them. So I think it's the idea like you're supposed to be our leader, but we're the ones having to come to your rescue. Like you would have probably got pinned in that match if it wasn't for us. So we realize like we've been following his message, but he's not clearly not in their mind. He's not holding up his end of the bargain. And you know what? I'm interested to see what happens going forward. Even though I was enjoying Heel Edge, but Heel Finn Balor will be a welcome sight. Well, the group claim there's no leader anymore. Uh, they're all equals now. Um, that'll work out for a while. Uh, Rhea Ripley's heading into a, a women's title feud with um, with Bianca Belair. Um, so the in, the storyline is that Edge has an orbital injury keeping him out. Uh, backstage news is that Edge is now a face to even out Cody's injury. 
Um, and apparently Edge rejected a supernatural route for the stable. I think uh, with the purple lighting and all that, I think WWE wanted to go maybe an Undertaker or possibly a Brood 2.0 um, sort of stable. And Edge just wasn't for that. So it looks like they're going to go forward without him here. But um, and do you know what feud I'd be interested in for the new Judgment Day? Mm. If they're going to go after Bianca Belair, I'd love to see Judgment Day versus Bianca Belair on the Street Profits. I think they could be some entertaining matches. That would be pretty interesting, yeah. It is weird to have yet another heel tag team. There seems to be far too many like heel tag teams in the main roster, like tag division, but I w- that would be like, a good one to to see. And it does feel weird to be called them the new Judgment Day when the Judgment Day hadn't been around long enough to be old in the first place. <laughs> I know uh, it, it's weird, but I'm I'm going to reserve judge, judgment, ironically, um, until until they go forward. But I'd love to see Rhea win the title from Bianca, uh, and I'd love to see a six-person tag. I'd love to see a stable in WWE that's constantly in matches, sort of like Honor No More and Impact. They're constantly together uh, on the big pay-per-views. Um, well, speaking of Honor No More, um, let's jump into Impact's 20th anniversary uh, this coming Sunday. And uh, Slammiversary 2022 marks 20 years for Impact Wrestling. Um, who would have thought we'd have got here during the Dixie Carter era? I don't know. I was in the mid-2010s where like, there were issues with money and then there was the Billy Corgan stuff and the GFW stuff and there was a point, I will admit, as someone who's a, a big defender or lover of Impact now, there was a point a few years back where I was like, can this company just, just die already? Like It just like it felt sad to keep it alive. It's like, I had a good run, but like let's, let's try and move on. But then, yeah, like again, the, the 15th uh, comeback turned out to be the one that stuck when Scott Demore and that came in. <laughs> 15 times the charm. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It did get sad at times because... The original X Division was a great um, showcase for talent. The uh, it was a it's a place for people to go when ECW and WCW shut down. Allowed a lot of veterans to have some really good like after WWE careers. A lot of people argue Kurt Angle's Impact Wrestling run is better than his WWE run. So you know there's there's a lot of good about Impact, but for a while it just it get quite sad didn't. Yeah, yeah, it did. And, like, especially, like you said, the, the Jigsaw Carter or the GFW days, and the fact that they've made it to 20 years is just is an accomplishment in itself. And, you know, I think they are still bringing in former WWE guys. They also did the last two summers were built around, you know, the releases and everything. But I think that what's worked to their advantage is, you know, they bring former people in, but they aren't doing the Dixie Carter. I think anybody with some port, some kind of name value or kind of recognisable being brought in is just getting snapped up and suddenly being pushed for little to no reason over their homegrown guys. They're bringing people in who can actually benefit and add to the roster and actually be better than what they were doing before. Like Dora Perazzo, I think is a prime example. Like she was so underutilised in NXT and then she comes in and she's like the the, the like best women's wrestler I think in the world right now. Like even Matt Cardone and Brian Myers, that they did some entertaining stuff across the WWE tenure, but 
don't think not and don't think they did enough and across impact and some other companies they both completely reinvented themselves. Yeah, and also on that underutilized thing, who'd have thought Steve Cutler from NXT, now known as Steve Macklin, would be one of the most under underappreciated uh, superstars in wrestling today. I think he he really does have a bright future. I would be surprised if he's not future uh, Impact Wrestling Champion. But um, you, you mentioned the, the going down the route of signing anyone from WWE. It's ironic that that was a criticism for a while, as you mentioned. The way they did it, you know, it was just a case of anyone who was ever in WWE, you can come in, we'll let you beat our stars, and hey, that's it. You know, there's no... There's no storyline going forward for the other guys. There's no storyline uh, to save our homegrown guys. We'll just let our homegrown guys go. And hey, for a while, they all did. They all went to NXT. Um, but the interest in what saved the company has been now former WWE guys because I think so many people were so frustrated with WWE hoarding talent and WWE you know, needing to sign everyone, that when Slammiversary two years ago came up, they 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 cashed in on the nostalgia of some of their former stars. They brought back the likes of Eric Young and the Mortset Machine Guns and what have you. Then the next year, they brought in more stars and more stars. And then just the, the partnership with AEW, the, the building their own stars, the likes of Josh Alexander, he is uh, building stars like Moose. It's been it's been a complete 180. Like they've brought people in who had value or people they feel they could have pushed. They've allowed people like Mickey James, Deanna Perrazzo, Steve Cutler, Zach Ryder, or sorry, Matt Cardona, uh, Brian Myers, W. Morrissey to come from WWE uh, and either reinvent themselves or re-establish themselves. And it's it's been a a testament to um to impact. And we've mentioned this quite a bit. AEW's stacked roster. A lot of guys, if they leave WWE and they go to AEW, they might not get the spotlight. You go to Impact, Impact is a thing because it's a smaller roster. They still manage to make everyone on the roster feel like they have a character feel that they have a purpose and feel that they have a storyline. And I think they have actually lost a few like people here and there who decided to like explore like other places and that's fair play of them. But yeah, I think there is more room for you to to grow and impact wrestling. And especially with the Forbindor, I think they've not done as much with AEW anymore, but the fact that they were able to have such strong relationships with the likes of New Japan is really helping them get more back in the spotlight with no, not just with the, again, the hardcore wrestling fans who have realised that Impact is a viable like, place. Again, like, Bullet Club has made a, like, a, a home almost in Impact where like, they've almost got their own little subgroup of uh, Impact guys and and uh, they've almost got their own little subgroup of Impact guys in Bullet Club, kind of similar to when they used to do that almost like Bullet Club America and, uh, and Ring of Honor back in the day with like, Adam Cole, Young Bucks and Cody. Yeah, and um, the the honour no more guys. They've been an absolute. They they've grabbed the chance and run with it. The Eddie Edwards is the leader. Um, Matt Taven 
has been sensational. Mike Bennett, Maria Canellis have refound another another pair of wrestlers who weren't exactly used the best by uh, WWE and have found found a home in Impact Wrestling. But let's let's talk about the the actual match card uh, for TNA Slam. Uh, sorry, Impact Wrestling Slam anniversary. I can say TNA. It's twenty years now. Uh, we're going to have Brian Myers. Sorry, there you go. I mean, they're bringing back a lot of TNA like gimmicks and standouts, uh, and there's rumors of TNA originals showing up. So I think they're embracing TNA for this, for this anniversary show. Yep. Um, so Rich Swan is the new uh, Impact Wrestling Digital Media Champion. He won the title at a Wrestling Evolver show from Matt Cardona, who's currently out injured. Mourn him shortly. Uh, he's taking on the most professional wrestler, Brian Myers on the pre-show for the Impact Digital Media title. They're bringing it back, Scott, the reverse Battle Royal. Yes. No one asked for it, but everyone's delighted it's back. <laughs> the reverse Battle Royal uh, participants to be announced. Uh, this is going to be, I think this is going to be a who's who of your favourite undercard guys from Impact oh. slash TNA's past. Shark Boy has to be there. Shark um, Boy. Give us like bring out Joyce when you're bring back the Kiss Demon from that battle royal back at oh, uh, get Christopher Daniels to come back as Curry Man. No, just give me all the silliness in one match. I love it. Uh, an ultimate X match for the Impact X Division title: Ace Austin, Kenny King, Mike Bailey, Trey Miguel, Jack Evans, and Alex Zane. A Queen of the Mountain match for the Impact Knockout World Championship with Mickey James as the guest enforcer, because of course she has to be there somehow. Uh, Tasha Steeles, Chelsea Green, Diana Perazzo, Jordan Gracie, and Mia Yim. Uh, the Briscoes defending their Impact World Tag Titles against Good Brothers, Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson. The Impact Originals, Chris Saban, Frankie Kazarian, Alex Shelley, and two to-be-announced competitors to take on Honor No More's Eddie Edwards, Mike Taven, Mike Bennett, PCO, and Vincent. Sammy Callahan versus Moose in a Monsters Ball match. The Influence, Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood taking on Rosemary and Taya Valkyrie for the Impact's Knockout Tag Titles. And the main event, Josh Alexander, a homegrown talent from uh, Impact Wrestling's current crop of superstars defending his Impact World title against one of the originals, two-time former Impact World champion Eric Young. So much on there. Reverse Battle Royal, Ultimate X, Queen of the Mountain, Monsters Ball, so many of the classic matches. They are really going all out for the 20th anniversary. Yes, totally. I mean, the Ultimate X match is going to be insane. Uh, the inclusion of Jack Evans, who recently left DAW, getting to see him Hopefully, finally, like flourish again. He kind of got, you know, stuck in a role of a lackey for Matt Hardy for ages, but getting to see him, it'll be proper Jack Evans again. Alex Zane being included was as a result of uh, Ace Austin's recent joining a Bullet Club because uh, he has been pals with Ace Austin. Alex Zane, because Alex Zane and Ace Austin have been friends. They were kind of tagging occasionally during the recent tour for the best of Super Juniors. And then when Alex Zane confronted Ace Austin after joining Bullet Club, Bullet Club then beat down Alex Zane, which is apparently why Alex Zane is in this match. So kind of a crossover between Japan and Impact here, but it'll be a hell of a match there. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Brian Myers thing because Mark has said that I was injured, I never should have defended that title. So he claims that he's now given the belt to Brian Myers. So Brian Myers is claiming he's the 
digital media champion. And this is kind of a, a match to determine the undisputed digital media champion. <laughs> uh, I just say about the uh, the Briscoe match, uh, there was a cool segment on Impact recently. It was quite funny that uh, Doc Gallows and Karate came out to talk about their top 10 moments in Impact Wrestling. Number 10, when we debuted. When Number 9, when we first won the tag titles. Number 8, the second time we won the tag titles. And then entrance 7 through 1 were basically the time they beat the Briscoes in the multiversal matches. <laughs> um, let, we, you mentioned Matt Cardona there. There's going to be no Matt Cardona there, unfortunately. Uh, Impact uh, slash TNA had a relationship with the NWA when they first started. That was their World Championship. They eventually, um, around about 2006, I believe, uh, relinquished the NWA title and went forward with their own titles. But um, Matt Cardona, unfortunately, at the NWA pay-per-view, always ready, had to vacate the <coughs> excuse me, the NWA World Championship. Me and you talked about how it'd be quite cool to have the NWA title on the show and maybe something to, to you know, a wee nod to that first world title. But unfortunately, he um, he had to vacate the title. Um, let, let's go into the NWA title match itself because. It ended up being uh, Nick Aldis, Trevor Murdoch, Thomas Latimer, and Sam Shaw, the former Dexter Loomis, and a mm-hmm. fatal four-way uh, for the uh, former, uh, sorry, for the vacated NWA World Championship. Uh, the former champion Trevor Murdoch came out on top there. Do you think we might see him at um, at Impact, or do you think? It's it's sort of a relationship that's not been reunited yet. I don't think it's been really reunited yet because they didn't really they kind of acknowledged that Matt Cardona was the NWA champion, but he never really came out at tapings with the NWA belt while he was champion. Uh, I think they tried to show how impromptu the uh, the the, the four way was because uh, Latimer and Murdoch had matches already announced for the show. I looked at the lineup of the show. I haven't watched it, but going to the match that they both wrestled on the undercard and then wrestled in the four-way. I think Shaw was maybe a surprise and all this was in there because it was meant to be him versus Cardona at the pay-per-view in the first place as the original like main event. I think if Aldis had won the belt back, uh, then he probably would have sh- been more likely to show up at uh, the show because obviously he's got a percentage of his magnet. He was at the multiverse and matches the team with Mickey James against Chelsea and, and Matt Cardona. Uh, also, another little nod to Impact Wrestling, Doug Williams he and uh, the British Bulldogs and won the NWA tag titles of that show. Oh, there you go. So, um, doesn't look like we're going to get any NWA uh, championship action at Impact's 20th anniversary, but a lot, lot more there. That'll definitely be worth the card. That was a definitely... Start that again. That'll definitely be a card worth checking out. Sorry, I'm trying to read my notes for the next one. Um, um, our final story, next- Scott. But before we go into the next one, though, uh, looking at the two TVAs and that Impact Originals match, I was asking you this the other day, how does it feel after years of viewing predictions and sweep, guessing any, <laughs> any time it was an open challenge or a mystery fire, you always guess James Storm. And now, finally, there's a, a TVA, a to-be-confirmed a mystery partner that might actually, has a strong chance of being James Storm. This has been four years in the making for anyone listening um, James Storm, when he was in ICW regularly in 2018, 
Um, there was always rumours of him going to WWE. He was popping up in NXT. So whenever there was a rumour of someone had a mystery tag partner, someone had a mystery opponent, there was an Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Every single time these things took place, I predicted James Storm. And it became a thing where I was like, I know it's not going to be him, but after so long of betting on James Storm to show up, if he shows up and and I haven't backed him, I'll be raging. So this was back in 2018. I thought he was going to be Braun Strowman's mystery partner at WrestleMania, what, 34? Yeah. And now we are in 2022. And yes, Scott, he could appear. And you know what? Quite frankly, I will be bitterly disappointed if this curse is not lifted from me. I want him to come out. I'm trying to think who the other person could be. I mean, they did it. They did the tease. They didn't do like the all the release people. They did a tease of Josh Alexander opening a box, and then there was just flashes of former TNA originals to tease like, well, some old faces could show up. So like teasing who the originals could be. Probably just wants it to be like America's most wanted, just like James Storm in his forties, still ripped as fuck. Chris Harris, not ripped. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see Jeff Jarrett. I'd love. I think it'd be a nice nod to Jeff. I know he's doing WWE stuff just now, but WWE and Impact have had relationships this past year with Mickey James appearing in the Royal Rumble match. So, hey, who knows? Who knows? But one thing we do know... Say that again? Someone has to be hit with a guitar. Yeah, exactly. Someone needs to be hit with a guitar. What we do know is Laredo, Texas, Scott, on June 27th, the go-home show for Money in the Bank, John Cena returns. It's not just 20 years of impact, it's 20 years of Cena. Scott, is John Cena going to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match? It's a strong possibility. I think there is a strong possibility that they could do that. I definitely think that somebody who's rumoured to have a big match at SummerSlam with Elston Theory could be... Uh, add into the money in the bank, and then they could have a little confrontation between the two of them and have an angle on the show that sets up that match. Uh, you know, if you want to hear more about uh, John Cena's career as part of the 20 year anniversary, we did his first 10 years in WWE on our most recent feature show with me, Chris Andrew Lopez, and David Hockney. It's in our back catalog if you want to listen to it. Uh, speaking of theory, just for a random second, they took the Austin away, and he's just theory. They still call him A Town Down as his nickname, like. If you're not Austin anymore, what the fuck does the A stand for? Asshole. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can see John Cena being in the Money in the Bank ladder match. I can see Austin Theory costing him and taking a selfie. And hey, SummerSlam, John Cena is a five-time uh, United States champion. Do you think we could see six at SummerSlam? I wouldn't put it past him. Something big now that the likes are you know, Brock Lesnar and that aren't being advertised as heavily now. Roman Reigns is on this part-time schedule. I think John Cena versus Austin Theory is a match you can plug. And you know what? Austin Theory's had this rocket strapped to his back since the since the Vince McMahon connection. This match over Cena, he's not had that big win yet. This could be that big win. I know, who would have thought a shit angle with a golden egg could lead to Austin Theory getting a spot at SummerSlam against John Cena. 
And you know John Cena, like he's very busy at the minute, but he wants to be involved with WWE. So if he's coming back and agreeing to be in this match with Theory, as a, a big nod to Austin Theory. And it would be interesting to see Cena as US champion once again, but I don't see him potentially winning against Theory, but I do like the idea of seeing what the build to that match would would look like. But even if you don't even have Theory in the ladder match, but you have him like defend the US title on the undercard, and then you have him come out and get annoyed that Cena came back and stole his spot in the what he thinks is his spot in the ladder match, he can like have Cena at the top of the ladder and like Theory pushes him off. Uh, that could be a good way to set this matchup. Well, someone, someone else who is currently a champion, a mid card champion in WWE, is now Gunther. So, hey, that name change from Walter to Gunther wasn't as bad as people made out. Um, yet Gunther ended the lackluster reign of Ricochet this past Friday on SmackDown, winning his first main roster title in WWE former NXT UK champion, obviously, as under the name Walter. Scott, uh, Gunther has had some some big pushes in NXT recently, some big matches in NXT, brought onto the main roster, made to look like an absolute killing machine, and his first big match against Ricochet, he absolutely dominated him. And mm-hmm. he is what an Intercontinental Champion, I think, should be, and... I'm, I'm glad he's won the title. I'm glad it's proved the doubt was wrong that said, oh, the Gunther thing is going to, you know, absolutely kill his momentum. But I'm a bit disappointed because we we talked about this on Central way back in uh, February when Ricochet was given the Intercontinental title that the, the push that was rumoured could be happening, but we didn't see it happening. It's not a rain that set the world on fire, is it? No, no. It could have meant big things for, for Ricochet, but still, he couldn't get the title on pay-per-view. It hasn't been on pay-per-view, the ITL in a defence, since uh, WrestleMania 37 and that Nigerian drum match. And so as long as Gunther gets one match on pay-per-view for the title, you know, then he's done better than the last couple of champions. This is part of the reason why you need a clash of champions, because the whole insistence on having every title defended at least get some belts that they don't want to put on pay-per-view, on pay-per-view. But part of me wants Gunther, like, with, if it's Theory or whoever else is the US champion, I kind of want the belts to be switched over. I want the IC on Raw because I think he has more potential challengers for that belt over on Raw. Because, like, I want to see him maybe, because the only other people I can see him against is, like, other heels like Sheamus or even put him against Drew, who's, like, a face. But Drew publicly coming out and saying that he wants the world title, it would seem like a demotion to him almost, to have to go and fight the IC champion if he's like unsuccessful, even despite how good the match would be, but you put Gunther on Raw, I think he could be a more dominant presence. Yeah, plus you could just you could have the likes of Cena in theory, if, you, if they're going to build a SummerSlam match with that you could easily have them over on Smackdown and as you said, there is more chat. There's the likes of Champa, Ali, uh, The Miz. So, so many challengers over on Raw for Gunther just to run through. Uh, I hope this does mean a return to pay per views for the IC title. You know, I didn't mind 
when AJ Styles had it and it seemed to be his thing was he would defend it every two weeks or he would defend it on the go-home show and that was fine. And then, you know, with the ladder match with Sami Zayn, the conspiracy theorist and all that and Jeff Hardy, the wee run in there, that was fine. But the, the Apollo Crews, the Shinsuke Nakamura and the let's plug Sami Zayn, Johnny Knoxville, Sami Zayn run, they yeah. haven't... They haven't worked out. Nakamura was injured for half his reign and they just didn't give a shit. So I'm hoping that Gunther is going to get back on pay-per-view. Um, and I'm hoping... Say that again? A bit Gunther, by the way. Uh, also, he's um, he's went from Walter Gunther. Marcel Barthel went, went from Ludwig Kaiser to, I think, Kaiser now, or this Ludwig. Have you heard about the new name change for, uh, for Fabian Eichner? Oh, for God's sake, no. What's he called? So he did a gimmick for a couple of weeks, because everyone immediately went, that's Fabian Eichner. And it was. He's now Giovanni Vici. Uh, basically, he is Italian man who wears fancy suits and good jewellery. And look at me, I'm handsome, I'm rich. So he's a bald man that wears suits, so he's been given Cesaro's gimmick, basically. He's basically, yeah, he's basically Cesaro on there. Right, well, hopefully, hopefully Fabian Eichner, or whatever his name is now, can get back onto the main roster and be joined with um, Gunther and Ludwig, because whatever they're called together, they do very, very good work together. And I'm hoping that this is a revival for the IC title, because it desperately needs it. Not since the the AJ, AJ against Brian, and then AJ, Jeff, and Sami Zayn has the title meant anything. You know, Big E had a wee run with it, but it... It was a means to an end, you know what I mean? So, yeah. anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Central, this monthly recap of Central. We're going to be back next week. Next week, we'll have a full review of the Slammiversary uh, pay-per-view, TN820. We'll go into detail with that. We'll have a look ahead to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, which will be that weekend. And then... Hopefully we'll be back with you more regularly. What looks like, I mean, I'm free. I've uh, I've been this gig now. I've had my holiday. I'm not going away till September. So you know, I'm I'm fine. I'll be here day after day. But anyway, thank you, you very that. much. Sorry, sir. You say that, Ross, but you seem like that absentee parent as a bloody. It's like you. He promised you'd give us an episode of Central. No, he keeps fucking off on holidays. Like, stop booking holidays and start recording centrals. I really do need to stop booking holidays. I literally have no money left. But anyway, thank you very much for joining me, Scott. You can listen to a massive back catalogue, as Scott mentioned, including a look back at John Cena, his first 10 years in WWE. You can find that on the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet, iTunes catalogue, Spotify catalogue, Android catalogue, and anywhere Android podcasts are listened to. And of course, at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.